This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Are you planning a through hike? Or are you just sick of sitting around your house and want to get out? Maybe you're looking at doing a backpacking trip this summer, whether it be just for a couple nights, or maybe you have bigger aspirations like the AT or the PCT. Either way, you're going to need some delicious food on your trip. Backcountry Foodie provides recipes and meal planning tools, everything that you need to make sure that you get the proper nutrition while you're out on the trail. Check out backcountryfoodie.com and you can use the code hiking through life to save 20% when you sign up at backcountryfoodie.com. We're excited to use Backcountry Foodie's meal planning kit to get away from some of our more regular meals and try something different. So again, if you use the code hiking through life, you can save 20% when you sign up at backcountryfoodie.com. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today's guest is here to talk about how one can find balance through mindfulness and combine it together for practical nutrition and healthy lifestyle. Sally Ann Pisk is the author of the book, Eating for You, has a blog and leads online courses about mindful eating practices. Welcome to the podcast, Sally. Oh, Sarah, it's just so great to be here. I'm really excited uh, about our conversation today. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. And it's awesome that you're from Australia, as we were just talking about. So let's start with like your favorite hike to go do in Australia. Uh, I was a bit concerned you'd ask me about that. Because <laughs> I have quite a few. Um, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to uh, pick one that is close to where I live. And then uh, one in Tasmania as well. Um, actually, that's even hard because I've got a few favourites in Tassie. Um, I live uh, about two hours west of Sydney, so just on the western side of the Blue Mountains National Park. So within 10, 20-minute drive, I've access to these wonderful walks. And my favourite one, um, it's hard to pick. It's just a, a short one. It's two hours. Uh, but it just has amazing uh, rainforest. At the moment, we've had a lot of rain, so the waterfalls are fantastic. And it's called the Grand Canyon Walk. Um, and it's just uh, out of Blackheath in the Blue Mountains. So that one's a favourite. It's a really great one to get you into hiking fitness if you're looking for that because there's lots of downs and ups and downs and ups um, and also it's really immersive in the forest so you get within two hours that total mental refresh that forest immersion can give you and I know there's a lot of talk about forest bathing and uh, Shinjinku I think sorry I the pronunciation but the Japanese research you know into... I've totally yeah I've butchered that word before too yeah <laughs> the, the benefits of being in the forest anyway everyone knows what I mean um and then in Tasmania oh my goodness that's a bit of a tricky one I thought I knew but I'm going to say the Western Arthurs which is uh, a mountain range in the southwest of Tasmania also a wilderness area uh, world heritage area and that's just superb because you get some altitude there's some amazing lakes um yeah that's a really great walk as well yeah. Well, and you know, I love that you said that first one is just two hours and within two hours, which is a very short amount of time, you get all of these benefits. 
And it's just like that reminder for people that all it takes is this little bit amount of time to have like this mindset reshift, which goes all along with this mindfulness practice that you have been studying and been so into for so many years. It's, it's totally true. It's just like, you know, and I, I talked to this, you know, with, with my ladies in my work, um, because a lot of their disordered eating has come through stress and not recognizing that sense of overwhelm that we sometimes get with life, you know, whether it be work, looking after a family, um, other stresses that come up. And yeah, you know, just this last couple of weeks, I think it's, you know, coming to the end of the year. It's also, um, and just to let you know, we have a Christmas break here. So we are kind of coming towards the end of the year. It's not uncommon for a lot of things to close down for, you know, two weeks over Christmas, January, December, January. Um, and also we've had a lot of COVID lockdown here, as has everyone around the world. But I think it's just that fatigue at all and overwhelm just built up and yeah the last two weeks um because I'm allowed back into the national park uh because I wasn't able to go there before because of lockdown rules um yeah we've been doing a few walks a week and yeah I just noticed the benefit just you know like I said within two hours it's just perfect well so your sidetrack your parks were still locked down your national parks uh no it was well there's a couple of things with that I just lived in a different area. So even though the Blue Mountains wouldn't be considered a city by any means, it was put together with Greater Western Sydney. So I wasn't allowed into Sydney uh, for a period of time because the cases of COVID were much higher in the city areas, which makes sense. Um, yeah, so it was a lockdown issue. Um, but yeah, one walk that we did yesterday, which is a lovely walk as well, we hadn't actually been able to get into because of bushfire damage, you know, going back for a couple of years ago. So yeah, there's been not just COVID, but bushfires and, you know, natural disasters that have kept us out of, you know, some of the walks as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know what's worse, natural disasters or COVID. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they're similar, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay. You do these, these walks and are you doing these walks with the woman that you're working with, with the eating disorders? Yeah, not, not so much. Um, but what I do do is I like to make, uh, some videos and slideshows and so forth, um, after these walks and share them with them. But that is certainly something that I have in mind is definitely getting, uh, women together to go hiking. Um, because a lot of the ladies I work with, um, that is one of their goals, you know, to, to be able to do overnight hikes. And, uh, that is something I would love to do. Um, I work mostly online, so I have, you know, clients around. Australia, but also overseas. Ah, okay. So a lot of the women do have goals of getting out and being active. So would you say that these people have come to you and have they tried like lots of different types of dieting or what are the patterns that you see with your clients? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So much, Sarah. Um, lots of different diets, lots of different exercise programs. Um, and, you know, like we said before, you know, off air, it was like, yeah, send me to a gym. And to me, that is like torture. And that is what it is like to some of the yes. ladies that I work with, you know. So I, um, ever since I graduated as a dietitian, really wanted to uh, walk the talk, talk the walk, walk the talk, you know, that like put it into action, you know, like learning from what I do, sharing that experience, but also putting into action what I believe is right. Um, because too much emphasis is put on a being fit or eating healthy foods. Um, and it's not something that I even thought of until I was preparing to talk to you today to get my thoughts together. It was like, too often we think about eating is just about the food, but there's so much else that goes on in our decision-making about what we eat, when we eat, how we eat. And likewise with hiking, I remember my first trip to Nepal and I had never done a high altitude trekking before. And one of the guides said to me, he said, a lot of people come here really physically fit. And sure, that's helpful, but that's not really what it's about because Fit people are used to knowing where the destination is and getting there as fast as you can. And so they're forever thinking about, are we there yet? Are we up, you know, there yet? Yes, it's a competition. 
Yeah, exactly. And that actually creates a stress in the body, uh, which makes it harder to um, acclimatize. You know, so often the fittest people are ones who perhaps haven't mentally prepared for altitude. And they're the ones that can have altitude sickness. So I thought that was really interesting. You know, here we are, we think about any type of movement, any type of activity, it's all about fitness, but it's not, it's about mindset. And I suppose some of, you know, a lot more now, our elite athletes talk about that as well. It's not just about having the skills to play tennis or um, soccer. It's about having the right attitude as well. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's all about mindset and going back to hiking. And then I was reading your um, ways to eat mindfully. Like you had a blog that caught titled 10 ways to eat mindfully. And even myself, I will overeat when I'm just sitting in a house. But like, if I am out hiking or on like a three-day backpacking trip, I have to eat very mindfully. You know, when you're backpacking, you have to pack portions you have to plan out your meals very yes. strategically and you have to carry all that food in <laughs> so i mean you are eating so mindfully when you're out backpacking or trekking yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. then i mean thinking about that i mean that's that's a whole practice that takes a lot of training on the brain for someone who's never backpacked too oh yeah and and that just reminds me my first ever overnight hike I went uh, by myself it was actually in Queensland at Fraser Island so that's about two hours and a bit north of Brisbane and I only had a small backpack just as well because I filled it up with cans of food <laughs> not knowing what I was doing borrowed my friend's tent uh, and off I went you know and so obviously my background in nutrition and dietetics helps me now and uh, also a combination of, you know, fresh foods and dehydrated foods from that point of view. But something else you said about eating in nature and when you're hiking and, and being mindful, um, this two-hour walk that I was mentioning, we often take a lot of visitors on that because it is short, even though it's a little, you know, tricky in terms of the ups and downs, but it's just lovely for city people just to get immer that immersion for two hours. And we'd be sitting there and they'll say, ah, oh, the food even tastes better. You know, even if it's a simple salad sandwich, it's like, I think it's because you're paying more attention. You're actually noticing the flavors. You're not distracted by everything else that might be happening in the house or the office or cafe, wherever you usually eat. Oh, 100%. And you're not just like shoving your face with it. And I mean, for me too, it's like, I know I only have a certain amount of it. So I have to really savor it and really enjoy it versus like when I'm at home, I know I have enough and I could have seconds and thirds and fourths. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, you're quite right. But, you know, it just reminded me of another story, a friend I used to hike with in New Zealand. And we just have this ritual that you know, if we wouldn't always walk together, but we would on the hour or two hours, depending on how heavy our packs were, we would stop and have some chocolate, you know, <laughs> like it would only be two squares, but it would be stopping, have a drink, have some chocolate and off we'd go again. <laughs> you know, I think that was probably more psychological than physiological, but you know, it worked. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah. I've done that. Like, oh, one more energy bar and then I'll go up this hill. <laughs> that's right yes. Yes. Yeah, so. do you see those types of barriers like we're talking about like rewarding ourselves with food a little bit on hikes like do you see those barriers with women that you're working with like rewarding themselves with food yeah definitely and that's not necessarily a bad thing and I hate saying saying good or bad you know but we often want that line in the sand you know it's either a good thing to do or not um and it is about the intention of what you're doing. Um, and I always say to people that if you're, whenever you're eating, eat mindfully, you know, notice the experience of eating. Even if you know you might be eating on this occasion because you are stressed or you might be eating to reward yourself, um, don't do it mindlessly. You know, actually eat the food and see whether the food um, suits you. And this is the interesting thing, the ladies that I work with, um, often they'll say to me, you know, after even a week, they'll say, you know, Sally-Ann, that food I used to reward myself with, or it was my go-to comfort food when I felt stressed, I don't even like how it tastes. 
<laughs> but never paid attention, you know, to, to what they were eating. And, and some of this reward stuff goes back to childhood. And, and I remember seeing this little negotiation going on between my niece and my sister when my niece's children were young because she didn't want them to have too many sugars. And, of course, for my sister, you know, buying them lollies and cakes and so forth were treats. Um, and so this is where some of those food rules actually start, right back in our childhood. You know, we think that, you know, having the lollies, the ice creams, potato crisps, whatever it is, um, they're the foods to reward ourselves with because they were given to us as treats when we were children. And even that acknowledgement, you know, shifts a lot of stuff with eating habits uh, for ladies. Um, it's quite amazing how many food rules and beliefs we carry around, uh, you know, about food. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, maybe that, I mean, yeah. So many people are like reward themselves with like ice cream, for example, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was always a treat when I was little. I know. And then when you start to eat mindfully, you know, some of the ladies will actually say to me, well, I didn't realize actually after I had ice cream, I got a stomach ache or I didn't realize how sweet ice cream was. So, you know, instead of having five scoops, I only have one now, you know? Um, and these are the sort of adjustments that, I encourage people to make is, you know, take the cues from your own body in terms of what nourishes you. Um, and certainly my own experience out hiking, you know, I have, you know, kind of a, a kit of foods together now that nourish me. Um, when I'm trekking in Nepal, for example, it's not a problem because I choose to eat vegetarian. So, you know, I can always get dal bar, you know, rice and dal and vegetable curries. So, um, it's not a problem. But if I'm trekking in a country where vegetarian food is not so common, such as South America, then you've got to take some extra foods um, and snacks and so forth to, to complement that protein deficiency, for example. Oh, sure. Yeah. Especially, yeah, that's true. As a vegetarian, um, I spoke to another dietitian, maybe you're familiar with her, a backcountry foodie. Yes. Yes. I okay. listened to the podcast. Yeah. It was great. Yes. Yes. So that reminds me of that. Cause she makes tons of like vegetarian recipes for all of her backcountry stuff. Yeah, no, it is good. And, you know, even just, you know, simple snacks of, you know, nuts and tofu and cheese, depending on the climate that you're traveling in. Um, I was fortunate to be on a, uh, on a trek, uh, beginning of this year uh it was between COVID lockdowns so we we're very lucky we got down into Tasmania into the rainforest area of the Tarkine in the northeast and I was so lucky most of the people on the trek were vegetarian and the two guides were vegetarian so um it makes it easier uh, for us vegetarians when people really understand what food is when you eat vegetarian so oh sure right because otherwise there probably is just some like stereotypes around it and just people wondering and making judgments on it yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely okay so going back to your work I want to know like how did you get into this work in the first place was there ever like an aha moment that you really wanted to be a dietitian did you ever struggle with any eating disorders yourself oh Definitely. I look at there's a whole lot of things. You know, looking back, I feel that I would always work in health. You know, looking back, I, I think that. And whether it had been food, maybe psychology, or maybe exercise physiology, they all made sense to me. Um, but I'm really pleased I chose food because it kind of sits in the middle. We so much know now about, you know, the gut mind you know connections or how we eat actually you know impacts on how we feel um, and by the way that's something that eastern modalities such as Chinese medicine and Ayurveda have known for thousands of years you know that that the gut's the most important part to look after um, yeah I did I did certainly uh, in Australia at the time um, and unfortunately I don't think it's any better now um, the way you thought you had to eat as a teenager moving into adult was to go on a diet, you know, like it was some sort of way to maintain your weight, to be healthy. You had to have some form of restriction. Oh, and that's, that's what all the magazines showed. Oh, I know, I know, I know. We used to, I can still remember us. It'd be five of us, you know, sharing magazines, sitting on the floor on the veranda at the, at the secondary college I went to. Um, of course, now, you know, younger people are, 
they've got it 24 hours a day on social media, which, you know, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah, so I had, I definitely had my own issues um, with food. And that was kind of probably one of the reasons I went there was that I didn't want other women to struggle or anyone to struggle uh, with that. And of course, once you get to university, you, your ideas and your interests sort of vary a bit. So an aspect of my work has always been on nourishing yourself. And that's always not just food. And of course, that's where, you know, the forest immersion and the hiking and um, all that comes in. But I should say that my introduction to being in the bush was actually through horse riding. Um, I had a, my first horse as a teenager uh, and have had horses most of my life. So earlier on, my time in nature was actually on horseback, um, which is really interesting. And it sort of developed uh, more into trekking when I met my husband, who is an avid hiker. So um, I diverted. Sorry about that. But yeah, no, certainly um, I have my own story with food and that initial struggle. Um, and it's just so relieving, I think, when I talk to other ladies to say, you know, the question I asked myself now, of course, I know the answer is, why did I ever go on that first diet? <laughs> you know? um, and, you know, that's what women will say to me. You know, I actually became heavier after each diet I went on. Um, and, and that's where, you know, a few things happen is that we just lose connection with what our own body wants we also feel the pressure of i failed another diet because i couldn't follow the rules yet they're promising me you know a kilogram or you know two pounds weight loss every week and i couldn't do that or i could do it for six months and then it all just fell apart um so it, it is it is definitely there it's definitely something i experienced um earlier on and then there were significant you know events in my life when my brother died suddenly and I developed a comfort eating habit um, and it was at that stage probably in my mid to late 20s this is where this whole mindfulness started to come in into practice I didn't realize that at the time but that's when the whole concept of eating for you actually started okay so like even when you were at university um, you weren't necessarily thinking about pursuing your own like entrepreneur journey. It was just building. Yeah. You can see the pieces, you know, and I think I look, I had so many interests um, at university and that's why I'm saying, you know, I probably went in there thinking, yes, I wanted to design some sort of program or approach that is going to stop women from, you know, battling with food. Um, but then, of course, I got interested in other areas, you know, research, and then I worked in management for a while, and and all of it has actually contributed to where I am now. Um, but I would say probably my time in Nepal and India have given me that just that little bit that brought it all together in terms of the practice of mindfulness, um, the concepts from the traditional uh, Indian medicine of Ayurveda, in terms of knowing yourself, you know, and knowing what you need. If you speak to a doctor who's trained in Ayurveda, they expect you to know, like, how does this feel? When did it happen? How did you feel beforehand? They, they are trained to know their bodies and their minds, how they feel, so that when you can explain what's happening now, you can explain the change and the sensations, symptoms, as we would call them in Western medicine. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, it's about knowing your body and knowing how you feel when you're eating certain things. And just, I think like for some people, maybe that's where they just lose their themselves in a diet is that you don't even know what your body normally feels like. What is the norm? If you've tried so many diets, you don't even know what normal is. Yeah. Oh, no, exactly. And I think one of the things, you know, even when I finished training, we were still working on the concept of, you know, a particular meal plan, you know, you know, combination of foods, you know, to eat every day. But who says we need to eat the same amount of food every day? I certainly know the difference if I do a three to three hour hike or if I do an all day hike. I certainly eat much more food on those days than when I'm having an office day. And, and this is what we lose when we try to sit to stick to a set regime. It doesn't allow for those daily fluctuations in activity. 
Um, it doesn't allow for um, changes in climate, for example. You know, I know many of the Ayurveda books I've re you know, read, they talk about it being natural to put a little bit of weight on during winter, you know, if you're not as active and you need it, you know, for warmth and insulation. But it comes off again in spring, you know. So this, and I'm not talking about jumping too close size, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, just putting a little bit on. You're still wearing the same clothes. But I'm thinking, yeah, isn't that interesting? Because I try to do that with my horse, you know, like I like her to be a little bit bigger heading into winter because, you know, she's going to need um, that extra energy to get her through the colder months. Um, and likewise, heading into summer when, you know, especially it's dry in Australia where I live, the feed dry, you know, goes off. So, yeah, so animals do it naturally. But we've lost that ability to actually adapt to the seasons as well. And, of course, not everyone lives in climate extremes like I do um, in terms of very cold winters and hot summers. Um, so you're in a more temperate climate, then your body weight would probably stay the same all the time. But, yeah, it's just interesting, I think, to explore these different things that we've lost touch with. Right. Yeah. I mean, our climate here in Minnesota, we're similar to that. Like we can have very, very hot summers and very, very cold winters. And I would say like in the winter, a lot of the times people start to eat like a ton of comfort food and just like cook a bunch of good crock pot things and big yes, roasts and yes, all this yes. yummy comfort food. And then you eat all these desserts and then the holiday season comes on. And you, you overeat at the holidays. <laughs> um, what? Yeah. And then with the holidays coming up, I mean, wh what kind of suggestions do you have for people to not overeat at the holidays or to just how do you be mindful about yeah. holiday eating? Yeah. I, and look, I think it comes back to that whole experience of eating. And I think what we're really talking about now is the the foods that are the good foods and the foods that are the bad foods. And, and this is what diets teach you. You know, there's foods you can eat more of, there's foods you can have to eat less of or restrict. Um, so we've got this in the background. And for many of us, well, certainly when I grew up, because, you know, food was sometimes a treat or you had to eat all your main meal before you could have dessert. So you had this concept that the sweet foods were actually the good foods, which obviously when you're trying to sustain yourself for your health and well-being that's not the case certainly they can play a part but they shouldn't be everything or you know the basis of what you eat um, so we've got that happening and so it's about giving yourself permission to eat what you feel like eating taking those rules of good and bad food totally out of the picture um, I can remember growing up you know Christmas day was like a feast and like you were stuffed, literally stuffed, you know, so uncomfortable after lunch, you would have to lie down. Um, it's not like that anymore. Thank goodness. Um, but that's not uncommon. But of course, what's happened for us, that was only a day, but in Australia now, um, with Christmas functions going right through to Australia Day on the 26th of January, it can be a whole month of feasting. And that's where, you know, the weight gain um, can happen. And, and, you know, some studies say that on average, you know, people put on, you know, two and a half kilos um, over the festive season and may not lose that weight. So that's why, you know, weight can gradually just creep on just from these festive events. So it's very much, if you can eat mindfully, just be no you know just notice you know that level of comfort after eating um you because everyone will say if they notice how full they feel that's no longer pleasurable it's actually uncomfortable and annoying because you do have to stop you can't go for the walk or play with the kids or the grandkids after lunch because you're too full um yeah so it's a combination of things really Sarah it's about really tuning into how full you feel and that you're comfortable um you don't want to be hungry either you know that's not what we're on about we want to be satisfied um and just selecting mindfully what you want to eat and you know if it's for a couple of days it doesn't matter if you're eating you know more you know sugary or fatty foods it doesn't matter it's what you do most of the time um but also having a sense of control that you can eat the sweet foods if you want to or if you don't feel like them you don't have them either and that's okay um, I think when we've got this idea that we can't eat something in our mind, we want it even more. Um, so certainly that's why restriction doesn't work for many of the ladies that I work with. Oh yeah, exactly. I remember when I was in 
uh, I think high school, my friend and I started this diet that we called the cupcake diet. And we allowed ourselves one, like one sweet, I, I think it was a week. And that was so hard. Like it, <laughs> and that, but then like, after we realized how hard that was, then that was just kind of like the gateway to this healthy lifestyle that I now live. But yeah, it's like, it was so restrictive and yeah, you want it even more. And that's what so many diets do is they restrict you from all these things. And you're counting the exact calories and the exact carbs you have, or so many of them are no carbs. Oh, I know. I know. I know. And this is where, and that tends to be the ladies that I work with. They say, look, I don't want to count another calorie again. I don't want to worry about carbohydrate, fat or protein. Um, I just want to have control over what I eat, but the freedom to eat what I like. Um, and, you know, it's it's so important that it, it comes back to that mindfulness again. Um, as I said earlier, you know, when we start to feel stressed, notice that. And, you know, breathing is such an important part of hiking, but it's an important part of life in general. Um, if you don't have time to do, you know, a formal mindfulness practice, often just sitting and taking 10 deep breaths will just lower those stress hormones. So you're not going to the cupboard to get the cookie jar or the potato crisps anymore. You, you don't need it, you know, you've de-stressed. Um, and so it's becoming more mindful um, of, of how you're feeling and what are, is going to nourish you in that time. And this is where, um, interestingly, a lot of the ladies I work with, you know, they have a dog, they have a garden, um, they like doing craft work as well, you know, so they have in, interests that nourish them as well. And I think that is what we've got to look at is a life that nourishes and supports us. It's not just about food. Well, yeah. And you know, that's what I was going to ask too. Are these people that you're working with typically, like, do they have an overall healthy lifestyle and other aspects of their life? Is it just the eating that they're trying to change more so? Yeah, look, it varies. It really does vary. Um, a lot of the ladies I work with have, you know, made adjustments, you know, to what they're doing in terms of activities that they enjoy. Um, and food is the last thing that they've got control of uh, for some ladies because um, they've had disordered eating, uh, you know, for longer, then they're starting to develop health conditions. So that can actually then start impacting on how much exercise they can do. Um, so that becomes frustrating. So it's kind of like, Sometimes uh, people don't reach out for help until their lifestyle and what they like doing is starting to be impacted. Um, and so, you know, they know through by eating better, they're going to be move better as well. They'll sleep better. All the things uh, that support our health and also a more mindful and sustainable way of eating. Because um, if we don't sleep well, then we're likely to want to eat more as well because our cortisol levels will be up. So, um, yeah, it, it all fits in together in terms of eating and lifestyle. It's very hard to separate it out. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I was like so curious as to if they are changing different things because it is so much intertwined. I mean, it's like if you eat food at 10 o'clock at night, if that's when your dinner is, your body's not going to be ready to go to sleep right away. No. No, and, and certainly <clears throat> thanks for raising that because we know just by eating most of our food by the middle of the day, that in itself can help our body find a healthier weight um, because we're designed, you know, we're designed to be daylight people. Um, that's where we've evolved from. Um, you know, our genes didn't come into being when there was electricity and light at night, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so there's a lot of research now saying that you know, your, your met metabolism, your health, your weight is improved if you can eat most of your kilojoules or calories uh, by, you know, the middle of the day and just have something lighter in the evening. Um, so certainly if you're eating at 10 o'clock at night, that is going to delay sleep and it's also potentially going to impact on your metabolism and contribute to weight gain, even though you've not eaten any more calories than someone like me who tends to have their main meal at lunchtime and a very light evening meal. Um, and so that's why it's really fascinating. And again, coming back to 
where we've evolved from, you know, in terms of our bodies uh, are made for the day and they need the fuel through the day, not at night. At night, the body wants to rest. The digestive system wants to rest as well. Right. Then like why in, I mean, American culture, especially it's like that dinner is this, the the biggest meal of the day. But then I remember when I was, I went to Italy for a few months at one point and their big meal of the day was lunch. Like they went home and had this like nice big lunch and yeah, that makes sense now. (laughs) But (laughs) here in our culture, it's like dinner is your biggest meal of the day. But I think that also goes hand in hand with just like the culture of work. Like our work days are typically eight to five. That's correct. Yeah, it certainly is. And I sort of encourage ladies who are working, even if they can get their lunch and evening meal to a similar size, you know, so they're eating a little bit more at lunchtime and a little bit less in the evening. Um, In Australia, we tend to get half an hour for lunch. So it certainly is enough time, you know, as a lunch break. So it certainly is enough time to eat a substantial meal uh, at lunchtime away from your work desk, preferably. So you're not distracted. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think that is always a hard thing too, because you're at work, it's hard to check out. And even like when you're home, sometimes it's hard to so many people eat in front of this, the TV in front of watching a show in front of their phones. And they're just not being present with their families. No. Ah, look. And so, you know, that's one of the, you know, the first steps, you know, to eating mindfully is to eat without distraction. Um, Like I shared earlier, that's when you actually get to taste the food and see how you feel after eating it and whether that comfort food actually is comforting or not. (laughs) And also the amount that you need, you know, if you're not paying attention, it's much easier to either under eat And if you under eat, you're going to be looking for those high sugar snacks and high fat snacks later because you're literally hungry still or overeat because you haven't picked up on that signal to say, yep, I've had enough now. You can stop eating. Um, So that's why paying attention or being mindful uh, is important. Exactly. Which is another reason like why I love the whole backpacking concept, because you're, you're forced to be trained to be mindful, but then you can apply it to home as much as possible. Yeah, oh, definitely. But I think, you know, for me, the whole experience of, of backpacking is that it takes, it, it makes life simple. You know, it's like all I have to think about is what's on my back and getting to camp before it's dark, preferably. <laughs> you know, I do have a head torch, but I'd rather not have to use it. Um, so life becomes simpler um, in that way as well. So I think it's, it has so many benefits in terms of tuning into yourself, but also tuning into nature, tuning into your food, um, because it is a highlight, you know, like you're having a break now, I can take the pack off and I can eat something. So it's not just because of the food, it's like I can, I can stop and take the pack off. Um, and yeah, and if you think about taking those concepts back into your day-to-day life, it's definitely about having a routine um, that is as simple as possible for you. Um, And, you know, again, I was thinking this morning, oh, my goodness, I've got to do some decluttering, you know, at home because this is all this stuff, you know. It certainly wouldn't fit in a backpack, (laughs) I can tell you. you I'd need several hundred backpacks. Um, Yeah, so it is. It's about simplifying your life, you know, acknowledging stresses, taking some deep breaths, stopping for your meals and really... um, appreciating the food uh or you know if you find foods that are not working for you to swap them out yes i that's so good and that goes back to listening to your body and knowing what your body feels like yeah so i mean what are your suggestions for people who don't even know what their body feels like because they they don't have a routine of eating they don't wake up and eat breakfast at at the same time every day they're not eating lunch at the same time every day like people who just don't have a schedule yeah look there's a few things that I would suggest I have a free resource um, and whilst it's mainly focused on um, eating for reasons other than hunger it certainly identifies some of these triggers why we eat or don't eat and that's the uh, eating checklist and that can be found at eating 
checklist.com. I can provide the link uh, for you anyway, Sarah. Um, so that will give you an idea about some of the reasons why you might be eating or not eating. Uh, it just uncovers some of those rules that I mentioned earlier that we carry around, you know, some of those dieting things. Uh, also, um, perhaps uh, our beliefs about taking care of ourselves, that's really important. So to eat well, we have to be committed to looking after ourselves and understanding what that means. And so it really is just taking a stock of, well, what is my day? You know, just journaling and observing what you're doing. Are there times of the day when you're really hungry? Are there times of the day when you're tired? Are there times of the day when you feel like snacking? Um, what happens if I eat breakfast at eight o'clock? What happens if I eat breakfast at 10 o'clock? How do I feel? What happens if I have a bigger meal at lunchtime? So it's becoming curious to work out what actually works for you. And that's a big part of mindfulness that I probably didn't even appreciate myself, you know, to start with. Um, you know, we often think about mindfulness, about being fully aware and paying attention in the moment. Um, and that's certainly important with hiking as well, especially if you're scrambling or you're on a ledge that's a thousand meter drop below, you know, you have to be mindful and focusing on what you're doing. But the other part of mindfulness is being curious. And that is to say, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if I did it differently. So it puts us in the mindset of trying something new without judgment. That's obviously a very important part of mindfulness as well is not judging. But just observing, well, what happens if I make these changes? You know, a few that I listed before. You know, what happens if I do that? You know, what happens if I go to bed at 9 o'clock rather than midnight or 1 a.m.? How do I feel in the morning when I get up? How do I feel if I take a break from coffee? How do I feel if I take a break from alcohol? What happens? How do I feel? And, yeah, really just being curious. Um, Without expectation, um, I think that's the other thing uh, in discussion with a few of my ladies that are working through one of my courses at the moment. We were talking about that, that I'd actually realised myself, you know, I was doing something that day and I'm thinking, oh, when we have expectations, we can't be mindful because we're already expecting a certain outcome or, a, you know, a certain reaction. Um, so I'll, you know, give you an example. It's like, uh, just because the, the lunch I ate yesterday nourished me, if I think it's going to be the same today, it may not be because I actually haven't stopped to say, well, what do I feel like today? And I'm not suggesting that we have a thousand different options in our cupboard or refrigerator. I'm just saying, you know, as much as possible, just thinking about how much we need. Um, certainly when it comes to portion size, that's often the case because people just plate up the same amount of food every day and not consider whether they need that amount or not. And in a practical way, I never really experienced that until, you know, staying with one of my friends' families. And admittedly, you know, two of them were chefs, so, you know, they knew how to cook. And everything was help yourself, you know, for the main meals, the food would be put on the table and then yeah. you select what you want. Whereas I grew up very much... Uh, with an English style of cooking, you know, meat and three veg. I think it became meat and five veg later on when dad had high cholesterol. Um, but it was all pre-plated. So, again, even as a child, I had no ability to understand how much I actually needed to eat because I had to eat everything on my plate, which is not uncommon for yeah, my I generation with no. parents that grew in the depression, you know. Absolutely, yeah. That was a big thing that, yeah, that generation grew up with. Absolutely. Like no, no waste. You eat what you have. Yeah. Wow. That is so true. That's so, yeah. That, and I, I love that quote that you said before that when we have expectations, we can't be mindful about it. Cause then it's just, it, it's a forced thing that you have to do. You have to finish what's on your plate. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That is, that's so good. I really like that because I mean, and diets have so many expectations too that you're counting this number and counting the calories and the people typically who go on the diets get so stuck on them. And then, I mean, they might last for a certain amount of months, but then it's, you can't stick to it and it's not being effective and you go off of it and then try another one, but they're yep. again, similar. And I think, yeah, I was reading a blog post about this on yours too. Like 
why so many diets are the same or something it was titled. Yeah, they're all got similar concepts. They're all promising. Well, most of the diets are promising weight loss, although we obviously have diets for to help with diabetes and high blood pressure, cholesterol, gut issues. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, eating plans um, out there, but you know, predominantly we're still looking for that magic cure for body weight. And the other thing I think is really important to understand as well is if if we started dieting as a teenager or in our 20s, we may not even know what our body weight is meant to be, you know, because it was never allowed to find itself. Um, and, you know, that's that can be difficult because, again, we have this expectation, I need to be X number of kilos or pounds, you know, to to be whatever, you know, like to be healthy, to be comfortable, to be attractive, whatever that motivation is. But how do we know that that actual weight is the right weight for us if we've never found a way of eating that actually suits us? And so certainly the mindfulness approach allows you to tap into, as we are talking before, those body cues about, well, what does it feel like to be nourished? What does it feel like to be full? What does it feel like to be hungry? And that can be an issue, um, obviously not for ladies who have been, you know, through with restrictive and men as well, you know, have had restrictive diets. They know what it is like to be hungry, you know, and if it develops into an eating disorder, uh, that's a whole different category of eating. But um, a lot of us on a day-to-day -day basis don't know what it is to be hungry because there's food everywhere. So um, that's probably another thing that like you were saying before, when you go on a hike, you know, a multi-day hike, um, you do know what it is like to be hungry. Um, and, you know, because you want to get somewhere for lunch, say, for example, and you're hungry by the time you get there. Whereas when I'm sitting in my office, well, I might get hungry at 11.30, but I may not get hungry till two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, because I've just been sitting. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're not moving. You're not being active. You're not listening to your body yeah. and your body doesn't even necessarily need that much fuel if you're just sitting there. Yeah. But yeah, when you're out and being active, like your body needs that, but it also teaches you that your body just needs a certain amount of fuel when you're out on these hikes and these adventures and you don't need to stuff your face with a giant plated meal. It can just be a handful of nuts and you're good to oh, keep going. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from all of my hiking that just like a quick handful of nuts is going to get me over the next few miles and I'll be okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting you say that because I know even with this hike that I did down in Tarkine earlier this year, there was this push to have uh, what we call muesli bars here. So they're like cereal based. They might have nuts and fruit and maybe sometimes chocolate in them, um, but they're basically high sugar. Um, and I, I just thought they serve no purpose to me whatsoever. You know what I mean? So I just didn't want them. You know what I mean? I didn't take them. Um, they did provide excellent um what we call scroggan that's mixed nuts um with some fruits and and some little chocolates and oh, things so like, like that we call that trail mix yeah trail mix is <laughs> scroggan is another word <laughs> trail mix. <laughs> yeah so um yeah so that was really good but yeah so it's just learning that yeah those foods don't do it and in Nepal they want to give you chocolate bars and yeah it's nice to have a little bit of chocolate but not a whole bar that doesn't do it for me you know I'll probably would take some protein bars sometimes on longer hikes like that, you know, if I needed it. Um, Cause I have found with continuous hiking in at high altitude, yeah, I tend to start losing weight, even though I'm eating well after about eight days. So if it's longer than that, I've got to have some extra reinforcements. <laughs> oh, so, so you're typically losing weight on the hikes because you're not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, not about day eight um and we're talking about probably eight days of you know seven days full day hiking and maybe a rest day in there as well but yeah it's just because you know in Nepal uh because traditional hiking you have Sherpas so you're not carrying so much 
Um, it's just the fact that you're active all day. It can be colder as well. So you're, you know, at altitude, you're probably burnt, you, you are burning up more energy to keep warm. Um, I mean, they feed you fantastically. You know, you get a hot lunch most of the time and hot dinner and hot breakfast. Yeah, but it's just obviously the level at which my body's working. Sure. And you're probably putting on, I mean, how many miles a day are you putting on? Uh, look, it's hard to know because some of it with altitude, you know, you're going up, you know, to go over a pass, for example, you know, you might go up a thousand meters, you know, climb in that day. So, yeah, it's not so much the distance. I think it's more the climate and um, the terrain that, you you know, you're walking in. Right, right. And that's where you do really have to listen to your body. So it's like yeah. good that you say, like when you're losing pounds, like, you know, you have to bring a little bit more nourishment for yeah. yourself. Yeah. And then when I get back to a, a town, it's like, yeah, I'll have some, you know, fried potatoes. You know what I mean? Like, and I seriously feel like them. And I probably have a little bit of salt as well, because that's what my body needs. But I just know the oils. And But that's like you said, the nuts are great because you're getting protein and oil. Um, so nuts are a great food that I have on all my hikes. And then what's like your go-to meal that you like on a hike? Yeah, look again, depending on what we're doing, I would want, um, vegetables and, uh, being vegetarian, it would either be some tofu or some lentil curry. Um, so I'm getting, you know, cause I love the Indian Nepalese spices as well. So, um, yeah, so it would be curry vegetables um, and maybe some rice, um, you know, depending on what we're doing. It could be dehydrated rice if we're doing a longer trek in Tassie, for example, Tasmania. Um, but, yeah, so it would be a combination like what I would eat at home, but just larger quantities, really. Um, and when you say tofu, though, because tofu is typically something that ha- you can't dehydrate tofu, can you? No, but interestingly, um, on this hike I did in the Tarkine, I had never actually considered doing this myself because it was so cold. The tofu kept quite well. So it was just packet tofu like you would get in a supermarket um, and it kept well. I mean, there's so much salt and that in it, so it would be preserved from that and it's not getting overly hot. Um, so that's quite safe to have. Yeah, so it depends on the climate. In hotter weather, I certainly wouldn't take it with me. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I guess like I've brought like hot dogs or brats on like a, on a two day backpacking trip. So bringing tofu is similar. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. I've just always thought of tofu as like, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's a little more delicate and really needs to stay cold. Well, no. Well, if you get a firmer style, you know, cause there's, you know, different and, and tempeh as well, which is the fermented soy that's even uh, got a stronger texture. So you're certainly not going to damage it. Um, you know, it might get a little bit crumbly, but uh, it's okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. All right. Going to try tofu on my next adventure. <laughs> Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote? Yeah, sure. Um, the Eating For You book um, was written uh, to bring all the knowledge that I had sort of gathered over at the time, my 20 odd years of experience. And it does delve into uh, our eating habits, which we've been talking a little bit about today in terms of our reasons for eating. It touches on the basics of nutrition it gives you pointers on how to personalize that for yourself. Um, and certainly probably about a quarter of the book is detailing different ways to actually make these changes last, because that's often the story I hear. You know, something will work for a little while and then it won't work. As we've pointed out, part of the reason why it doesn't work is that the diet rules don't suit you in the first place because they're just written for somebody else. Um, and they create that good and bad foods concept, which obviously the eating for you approach doesn't. Um, so yeah, it just shows you how to, to put the guidance in place by tuning in to your own body um, and also how to introduce that change. But it does touch on things that come up from time to time with people I work with that, you know, how do I start making these changes? You know, you can't expect other people to change with you. You know, that's one of the biggest hurdles, um, especially for women, you know, or men, if you're in charge of the family food preparation, you're trying to cater for all these different people. And no, I'm not into that, you know, I certainly uh, explain ways to avoid that in the book. Um, yeah, so it's really a do-it-yourself uh, guide uh, to mindful eating and living. Ah, so when you were saying how, like, if you're, like, 
the person cooking for your whole family. So do, do you find that people come to you struggling with that because like they want to be mindful of their eating, but their family doesn't want to be? Is that- oh, yeah. Yeah, that can that can be <clears throat> a big challenge, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in some households. Um, it depends. If you've got, you know, children still at home, uh, you've got to bring them on this journey of changing as well. Um, but certainly it's it's just changing one thing at a time. Um, but you also might be in a situation where you want to improve your own health and you might be concerned about someone else's health in the family. You can't make them change, you know, but you can just do what you need to do to look after yourself. Right. Absolutely. You have to, and like, you can set your own example. Like you can set a good example for the people that you are surrounding and people, people feed off of that. If they see that you are happy and if you are healthy and if you're thriving then they're gonna feed off of that and wonder why why is that yeah oh maybe it's because of their healthy and mindful eating practices it all comes in and and this is what I realized too you know the the book does talk about you know exercise in very general sense and also the importance of sleep and mindfulness because as we were saying before, they're all intertwined. You know, all of these lifestyle factors um, impact on how we feel, how we eat. Uh, we can't separate it out. And too too long, I think the focus has just been on food, um, not the other lifestyle factors and not those uh, psychological and emotional factors that are involved with eating as well. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, like, as the, the emotional eating, I mean, do you th- think that most people are doing the emotional eating like does that typically happen at night or is it more so during the day or like what do you what do you see as patterns or like what does the research show I'm curious about that yeah look it it can vary it it really can vary but certainly a common time for that emotional eating is in the evenings and it can be into quite late um some of the ladies I work with um their family members are totally aware of their struggle with food others uh would be hiding their emotional eating and their stress eating from others because they feel embarrassed you know about what's happening um they might feel that their family and friends wouldn't understand you know what's going on uh for them and so I've always seen that the way we eat is just reflecting how we feel and what's going on you know in our life and it's a great opportunity to actually heal what needs to be healed Um, it's not about not having willpower it's not about being a good or bad person the way we eat it's just that we have gone to food at some stage to you know get that comfort to have a distraction or to reward ourselves as we were talking before but it becomes a habit and once a habit occurs we're not consciously choosing to do that anymore you know a habit is something that happens on autopilot Um, and so for some ladies when they come and see me um, just a reminder I mainly work with ladies but obviously everything we talk about is relevant to men as well Um, they know they have this overeating or emotional eating habit, but they don't know why anymore because the habit was established, you know, many years before. Oh yeah. It could have been established in their childhood. Like you were saying earlier. Well, and when you said that sometimes food is given to, for like a distraction, I think that's, I see that a lot with kids like oh here is a piece of candy while mom is shopping in the store (laughs) yeah yeah definitely definitely and we don't realize and it's not done with any ill intent it's just a survival tactic for the parents you know and this is certainly not about rousing on parents um there's lots to negotiate you know bringing up children and uh you need to be able to shop carefully, you know, like you need to be able to get other things done carefully as well. So it's a matter of what we give our children um, as a distraction. You know, likewise, we could equally give them a picture book to look at while we're shopping. Yes. <laughs> so it, it's, it's the choice of what we do, you know. So children don't know if they think, oh, I get to have read my favourite, you know, picture book while mum shops. Isn't that great? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then that just becomes the norm for that child. 
That's right. But yeah, it's all making that conscious, mindful decision to do that and make it a habit, which just takes, which just takes practice, like, like anything in life. Ah, and look, it goes back to what I was saying earlier with my sister, you know, in terms of, you know, some of that negotiation, my sister and niece had to go through, you know, a treat to her grandsons was her just being there, you know, because they love her, you know, and she lives away from them. So, you know, and her playing with them um, was the treat. She didn't need to take lollies or cake, you know, they were just happy to see her. Um, And when I look at children, Um, and interact with children they just love to have your attention Um, uh, and children are very much like horses that they know when they have your attention and when you're distracted Um, you know like with horse riding for example the moment that the horse knows that you're not paying attention that's likely when they'll try and turn around and go home or they might you know decide to change gait speed up stop trotting whatever they're doing because they know that you've lost attention so they'll do whatever suits them um, because they know you you are no longer in control and uh, children definitely know too when we're paying them attention or not Um, so yeah it's interesting yeah absolutely well and like you said horses that's kind of like where your whole mindfulness practice kind of started (laughs) a little bit look I probably didn't realize it at the time, you know, like I said before. Yeah, it's all intertwined. (laughs) And, and, you know, I would say this, this is the first time um, the horse I have now, you know, I only have the one horse and. um, How many horses have you had? uh, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to keep them till they've passed away. So I've had them for many years. So my first horse I had from about the age of 18 months through to him being 25, um, at the same time, I inherited my dad's old horse um, and I had her till she was 32. Um, and my current horse has just had her 18th birthday, which is about equivalent to about 55 human years. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I've only ever had her on her own. So, yes, I've noticed the mindfulness practice with her. She was an ex-race horse as well. So it was always important when I was retraining her that I was present, I was mindful and, you know, we got that bond. Um, yeah. So, you know, she's, she's, is a great teacher. And in fact, like I said, looking back, horses in general have been a great teacher for me with mindfulness practice. Ah, what's your horse's name? Ah, my horse, uh, current horse, her name is Chit Chat. Um, and she is quite talkative. Um, the friend who gave her to me, uh, his, his grandchildren actually named her. Um, I don't, maybe she was vocal as a foal as well. I don't know. Uh, but yes, she is. She will step outside and she'll neigh. And yeah, so she really acknowledges you when you're about. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Animals. I mean, we have a dog and our dog is very similar. She, yeah, she's very smart. She knows when you're really not paying attention, she'll you know, paw at you more and bark at you and get, get irritated if you're not paying attention. Yes. (laughs) Much like a child. Yes, definitely. And much like your body, your body will get irritated (laughs) if you're not paying attention to it and listening to it That's right. and being mindful and it'll, it'll show the effects. It'll start gurgling and making weird noises. (laughs) And it's just us noticing, you know, um, you know, as we, you know, do in nature, you know, we pick up on so many things. We hear birds, we hear water, we hear wind rustling in the trees. You know, when we pay attention to our body, we pick up on all these things as well. Um, but it's just paying attention. And as I said before, being curious. And sometimes we need some guidance because we've given away uh, our knowledge by following diets and strict regimes. So sometimes we do need some guidance on how to reconnect. That's okay too, Um, because quite rightly so, a lot of ladies say to me, I should know how to do this. And I explain to them, well, you don't, because at some stage in your life you got stuck on diets um, and they took you away from knowing that knowledge about yourself. Um, but we can relearn that. That's, you know, mindfulness is something we can all learn. And that's why um, it's so special. It's so simple in some ways, but so challenging in other ways. Um, but, you know, you stick at it and your life just improves um, because you find what really nourishes you and what makes you happy. Yeah, I 100% agree that it's it's a simple thing, but it, it takes a lot of time to get there. 
But it's just being consistent as well. Um, and part of that journey is acknowledging when you haven't been mindful as well, um, but not beating yourself up about it. It's just saying, oh, well, that didn't actually work. You know, whether it's a food choice or something you do on a hike or something you do at work, it doesn't matter. You know, you've learned from that. And next time it's just about remembering it's okay to be in the moment. Um, and I think that's been the other thing is that certainly when I was entering university and then work, it was like this whole concept of multitasking, you know, being busy all the time. Well, research shows us there's no such thing as multitasking. We just move from task to task, you know, all the time. So it, it's just an illusion that we can do several things well at the same time. We don't actually do it anyway. So so, so it's okay just to be. Um, and that's the other thing I think hiking gives us is it's just being in the moment. It's about being, where do I need to put my foot next? Um, where can I fill up my water bottle? Um, yeah, oh, it's going to rain now. I better put my raincoat on. Um, you know, it's just like taking it as it comes. Absolutely, absolutely. Taking it as it comes and just dealing with the task at hand. I, that's a beautiful yeah. way to look at it. Awesome. Well, gosh, this has been a really amazing conversation and very enlightening and very mindful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything else that you want to add? Where can people find you if they're curious about one of your online courses? Where can they yeah, find more information? Yeah. Yeah. Look, my um, website is eating for you. That's in full words com.au eatingforyou.com.au and if you're interested in knowing what triggers your eating then that checklist is available at eatingchecklist.com awesome thank you sally thank you sarah it's been great i've loved every minute thank you you've been listening to the hiking through life podcast peace love and hike through life.